Welcome to Learning with Lowell. I'm your host, Lowell Thompson. We cover biotech and science-related topics on the show, such as startups working on antibiotic drugs or colon cancer, to venture capitalists talking about funding and how that worked, to people talking about how they found a science-backed startup. Two, and this is one of my favorite parts, people talking about specific science-related topics, such as whales or protein engineering. You're really going to get a lot, and it's all going to be about science on this podcast. Today, we are joined with Dr. Shama, CEO of NeuroCreate a company focused on inducing flow and monitoring it using AI and a bunch of other technology. We get into how she's developed it, what she's developed, where she wants to go with it, and the like. I think there's a little bit of here for everyone. You get to learn about flow, what that is, and you get to learn it from someone who actually studied it, which is a lot of fun. So let's get into this. Tell me about your project. Essentially, you use AI to help people flow right? That's a good way of saying it. So how did you come to build that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess um, the ethos of a company is to it's, is to look at um, how AI can be used as a tool to enhance human processes and um, to basically position ourselves in the narrative so that it's changing it from like, oh, AI is coming to replace humans and take all of our jobs. Um, in a sense, AI has been used a lot for automation, but it has a lot of potential to actually sort of stimulate um mental processes and cognition and actually um, be helpers and augment, um, you know, human cognition and processes. So we're building like an AI collaborator tool uh, to um, essentially encourage and enable um, and train people to enter into flow states of mind. Um, And it's actually using a mixture of AI and neuroscience knowledge um, as a symbiotic uh, relationship between the two. Um, And the whole idea came about um, in a sense because like I did a PhD um, where I was very interested in innovation and creativity um, as related to cognition. So, you know, the, the sort of mental states of mind that you need to be in in order to be creative, essentially, where you can make something from nothing seemed very magical and interesting to me. And um, all of that comes about because I'm not only a scientist, I'm also an artist um, in music and theater and all sorts of things. And so I've always had this sort of interdisciplinary um, way of uh, approaching something. And um, yeah, so there are many different types of creativity, many different stages of innovation. And one of them happens to be flow. Um, and flow is something um, that's also known as being in the zone. Um, a lot of people associate it with like athletes and musicians. And I was actually looking at um, improvising musicians and, and also classical musicians. Um, but, you know, it's actually something that was coined by a Hungarian psychologist called Mihai. I can't really say his name properly. Apologies to all the Hungarians out there. <laughs> Um, but you know, he actually, um, went about wanting to, uh, look at what, what is happiness, you know, what makes people happy and notwithstanding the cultural like definitions, um, that are different between different sort of countries and what happiness is. He kind of, he actually found this, um, unique enhanced peak performance mental state, which he deemed, which he deemed, um, flow, um, which was a meaningful engagement in work. And this was an everyday man in everyday work. And, you know, now it's more commonly associated, like I said, to athletes or musicians, but, you know, it was something that he found in a wide variety of um, uh, work. And um, 
you know, some of the really interesting sort of aspects of flow is that not only are you really focused on details, you're also very aware of the broader picture. So you actually have a very good sort of peripheral attention as well. Um, flow is often confused with just focus colloquially, but it's not. It's both sort of things. So, you know, if I give you the example of a musician. You need to know what you just played, what you're playing now, what you're about to play, and how that fits in with the rest of the ensemble. And there's a peripheral sort of thing happening. Other things that are really interesting about flow um, is that you lose track of time, uh, which means because you're so absorbed and engaged in what you're doing, you're just like, oh, wow, uh, it's only been two minutes, right? No, actually, you've been doing it for two hours, you know, something like that. Um, it also has this very interesting, um, uh, also has this very interesting uh, property of uh, providing like sort of uh, mental flexibility. And I think actually from this mental flexibility, you got a, a variety of different things, which is like a resilience to kind of, you know, figure out different strategies. If something is working in one way, you try another way. I think almost a byproduct is creativity, right? Because of the mental flexibility, you can put together like different types of concepts together and then, you know, create something new from that. And actually the, the opposite of flow is often deemed stress because with stress, you get really fixated on one thing. Um, and a very sort of fixed mindset. So with flow, you're kind of, you're promoting this sort of well-being. And that brings back, brings me back to like, you know, what Csikszentmihalyi actually found is that, you know, um, happiness, underlying happiness is flow. Most people understand it or have experienced flow when they play a video game or they play a game or they're like doing. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So like you ever like sat down and like play Pokemon or whatever and eight hours <laughs> go by and it's like, you know, it's time to go to bed. It's like, you just did it. That is exactly what it's yeah. like. So imagine applying that okay. level of uh, skill and aptitude to our uh, focus and yeah, to ever like to a work project. Yeah, like you know, there's a whole like industry in esports and stuff, isn't there? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so I like esports. That could be your work, <laughs> you know. But yeah, exactly, and that's sort of um, that's how we're kind of approaching it because you know we are hoping that if people are getting into flow and what they're doing in their actual work. It's, you know, A, going to be promoting well-being, like reducing the sort of workload stress, but also like whatever you're producing is of a higher quality. So you don't have to like repeat it. So actually you're more productive and more efficient and you know, frees up your time to do other stuff. <laughs> is it built? And if not, how long until you have something that people can use to get into the, the flow state? We were part of an accelerator, which is how you met um, Susanna and how I met Susanna. And so we managed to build some prototypes of the digital AI collaborator and we're currently working on some deep learning models of the sort of neural signature patterns that accompany flow. There's a couple of different products, basically. And with the AI collaborator, the, the, the prototypes that we've been building, hopefully we're going to get into sort of like an alpha product, maybe a finished product with by the end of the year. And with the deep learning models, you know, the idea is to integrate it with the AI collaborator at a you know later stage, integrate it through wearables using a technique called neurofeedback, which is, you know, getting people to learn or train themselves through the collaborator to get into flow. And that will that will probably be a little bit further down the line to get that pretty good. But what's really, really um heartening is that our deep learning models are already able to detect flow and not flow to quite a high accuracy level. So you know it's it's a science tech company, so you know I won't rest until it's actually super accurate from a scientific perspective. So it's really exciting to be able to see such tangible results already. You know, you know, coming from a biological background, you know, experiments and statistical significance and all of that can take quite a long time. And so for us, you know, it's really really exciting news that it's already working. So.
How did you develop the AI component, or did you like partner with people who were developing the AI component, and you kind of like filtered it into what you're working on? Yeah, I mean, my co-founder is Dr. Gregor Greffenstedt, and he's an expert in natural language processing, which is one of the components of AI. Yeah, it's quite a broad term, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's an expert. He's got over 20 U.S. patents to his name. You know, he's also a fellow of the Florida Human Machine Cognition Institution, um, at INRIA, and stuff like that. So, you know, he's got a, a very good background of, of research and also implementation. So, you know, he's worked in a lot of industry spaces and startups as well. And then coming from a neuroscience background, my my PhD was actually in the physics and mathematics department of complex systems. So I have a good understanding of the statistics required that goes into machine learning, for example. Who else is a part of the team? I think there's a third one, a third person. Working with a couple um, a machine learning, a deep learning uh, neuroscientist for uh, you know, a specific period of time to collaborate with them to sort of build up our pipelines and then uh, also worked with somebody to build prototype of the interface just to get us to the first stage. So now we're at a place where we're you know, trying to go into ideation sessions and you know, test it out in order to inform our next round of development. So permanent members are me and Greg and then you uh, work with people here and there <laughs> in, in, uh, in um, specific periods of time. So. That makes sense. What were uh, some of the bi biggest challenges you've overcome to get to here? Because I think it's a, about five months old. You incorporated in December of 2017. So mm -hmm. Two things are fundraising. It's, you know, business is all about fundraising. People need to live off of things more than air <laughs> in order to get, you know, food and water on your table. So, you know, it was really, really cool to have been accepted onto an accelerator that, you know, provided us with a little bit of pre-seed funding in order to actually get some of this prototype off the ground. So that was a really big challenge to overcome. We're now actually going into to raise our seed round. For, to go into the next stage of development. Doing all that at the same time as developing and at the same time as getting new customers or keeping existing customers interested, it's like you have to have so many hats on all the time juggling, you know, from a CEO perspective, whilst making sure like your development team is also on track and meeting KPIs, which are key performance indicators and, you know, business needs, all sorts of things, making sure that, you know, your budget is going to last you for a while. And, you know, that also brings you to, you know, working with the right people and the right people, meaning, you know, people who share your vision and your enthusiasm and your work ethic. It's really, really important. I think that's also a really major, you know, challenge that I think a lot of startups face, you know. You don't exactly offer big bucks like <laughs> a corporation would, right? And at the same time, you're a small team. So it's really, really, you know, important to make sure that that relationship and that dynamic works out really well. So it's like, it's like a marriage. <laughs> Yeah, possibly more intimate. <laughs> For the investor component, have you noticed that there, uh, there was a person on here who said there's basically three types of investors where one is like the key type that you want to filter down into because you're going to get what you're doing better. If you've interviewed enough to kind of make a sample size large enough to kind of make inferences based off of it, have you noticed that as well? And if, if so, who are the people that seem to really get what you're doing and save you time and having to explain it? I have noticed a little bit. I think people who get it are probably people who are already aware of what flow is to some extent, or they have some sort of interest in like self-improvement or non-invasive neuroenhancement, or they're interested in the very exciting space of cognition and AI, or, you know, something along those lines where they see the bigger picture and what we're trying to do in terms of like, you know, the vision. It may not be something that's addressing like a, a really hardcore 
problem, but it is going to be a problem unless people stay ahead of the game. If they're not actually keeping up with all of the capacities and capabilities that AI is going to be bringing, you need to have the human mind keeping up with something like that. So it's people who have enough of a future visioning capacity about them, actually, that, that I've had the most fun talking to. Because, you know, you can also tell them apart because, you know, they, they, you know, it's really fun and they actually start giving you their sort of references and talking about it in depth and kind of going, isn't it cool, you know, if it could be put in this situation or about that, you know, certain people don't get it. <laughs> and, and they might just be looking at like, you know, the return on investment in the near future sort of thing as well. And in only those terms, I'm not saying that we wouldn't be making those returns of investment because I think we will, obviously, otherwise you know, I wouldn't be sitting here. But yeah, certain people just don't, if they don't get it, then it's really difficult to, to you know, talk on deaf ears or anything like that. There's a, a story of uh, Benjamin Franklin, who was one of the founding fathers of America. He's more considered like the, grand, uh, the founding grandfather. Is it? Uh, Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Benjamin oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. You guys in the UK, I don't know who you know. <laughs> um, the Revolutionary War was like a footnote yeah. in your thousand long uh, year like trudge. Is he, is he the guy who is he the guy who put up something uh, uh, up into an electric thunderstorm? Yeah, yeah, he, he yeah he's the kite guy. He's also the reason that okay. the French came in and beat up the British. He's like he's the guy. He did Ooh. that. Yeah, so he's kind of yeah, but he's really smart. So when he was a kid, his father brought him around to a bunch of different industries to see what he liked better than other ones so he could kind of like help him like find his way because he didn't want him to go to sea and get lost which is what happened to one of his other sons so i'm wondering could you use this technology to figure out because you said you can kind of tell when someone gets into and out of flow so could you use this technology to determine what interests kids or, or people more than anything else and then develop coursework around that do you could you see that like that being an application of it actually we're talking to a, a company that's doing more sort of like online based education it's like being more personalized as to where you know a student is in their sort of areas of learning so that you know they're not getting the one-stop shop type of teaching that a classroom provides in a sense they were really interested in possibly integrating with us when we're completely ready because one of the really cool things about flow is that it's self-motivating and it's it's like self-rewarding and so they were like really interesting to see if we can get students into the flow before they go and study or or, or revise and I was like yeah that sounds you know because I'm quite passionate about like sort of education in a more sort of embodied sense rather than sort of like blackboard and writing it down on a piece of paper and you know that's how you learn sort of thing I did lots of workshops um, combining science and embodied sort of storytelling methods of learning for example and that's partly because it does get you into flow and more receptive to learning um, through multi-sensory integration but yeah I think another thing w was that we were also talking to a gaming company where we were looking at seeing which one of their games could actually put gamers more into flow than others because this is this gaming company was all about rehabilitating people who had had strokes or other sort of movement related disorders that may or may not have been cognitively impaired as well and it could be a way of kind of seeing what things work or resonate with people and what things don't it's not exactly the same thing as kind of going oh yeah we can see, you know, what topics people like better than others. That's a different sort of sentiment. I think there was a, a recent thing that people did. I don't know if it was Amazon or something. And they put a bunch of headsets and like customers and showed them a whole bunch of products and then saw subliminally which ones they actually had a greater sort of reaction to as, as an emotional reaction and went, oh, these are the products you must be doing. That's not exactly what Flo is doing. But it could be, you know what I'm trying to say? So it's like more about what is self-motivating? What do they you know, want to carry on doing sort of thing? Could be a different way of looking at it. Uh, taking a step back, you talked about a lot of the responsibilities you have as a CEO. 
And you went from basically like a PhD graduate to like kind of working a form in your own kind of company. So Mary, how did you gain all the skills to be successful at that or to know how to juggle those <laughs> things? Or is it just a lot of trial Actually, and error? I've always... Yeah, no, go ahead. Well, I've, I've, I've also, I've always been entrepreneurial. So I've had a, like two other social entrepreneurships and I've had like an event company in one form or another for like the last 10 years. And during my PhD, I started a art science creative agency called Jugga Productions. Tagline, joining the head and the heart is all about interdisciplinary, like projects, art science, events, salons, installations, uh, visual arts commissions, science theater plays, all sorts of things like that. So, and the PhD in itself, like I came up with the idea and I approached three different institutions institutions, which is Imperial Goldsmiths and the Royal College of Music. And I had to manage all these institutions, all the egos involved, <laughs> the budgets, everything like that. So quite used to kind of going out and doing things and self-starting them. You know what I mean? Apart from that, you know, found myself joining a, a, a venture building company called DSV precisely because of the art science agency that I had, because I, I used to run these dialogues, these salons called Dialogue. Um, and one of the people who came to that was like, you know what, I think you should join or at least apply to this because you'd be the perfect sort of mindset that they're looking for. With DSV, which I think you might have come across before, the idea is that you, you know, you join no preconceptions as to an idea necessarily, but you find your co-founders there and you find your idea there sort of thing. There's a lot of bandied about a lot of different ideas. And then the sort of, you know, idea came up of, you know, enhancing creativity. And I was like, wait, hold on, I should step up there. That's exactly what I did. So I was like, PhD. And then that slowly started taking form that actually there's something here and it's something that people want. And then through there, I actually found Greg because his daughter was one of the other people at DSV. And so she's like, you should, you should meet my dad. So, you know, and from there on, you know, we then joined Rebel Bio, we incorporated and it's kind of nearly been a year on this sort of path, really, even though we only incorporated in December, you know, you learn a lot from people and um, you do learn a lot on the job, but you know, there've been loads of people who've been you know, ex-founders or are still founders or, you know, investors giving us talks. It's kind of like a, a real-time MBA <laughs> without actually doing an MBA. And then they're like, yeah, you must read this book and you should, you know, watch that YouTube video. And I, I mean, I think it's really true. It's, you learn best by doing it, right? And um, it's been a really good network of people. I keep getting introduced to people and learning and learning and learning. So do you have early adopters who are like, going to be like an okay you're not in your head but okay so how did how what what are the th <laughs> what, what, what yes. are the things that make them say like hell yes like what what make what makes them want to be like hey we'll give you guys a try because yeah like basically why do they say yes what makes them say yes kind of early on um in creating our prototype we actually took a very early version of it um to like a game jam hackathon um i don't know if you're aware of what that is but like we have these sort of um, uh, three-day hackathons, essentially, uh, in the UK across a wide variety of different sort of, um, you know, purposes. And a game jam is one where, you know, people get together in order to make a new game. And, you know, they give you a theme. You know, in this case, it was the word transmissions. And then the, they basically say, go. <laughs> um, and it attracts a whole bunch of people, you know, some who are professional games designers, others who aren't, but, you know, fancy themselves to be. Um, and, you know, people who can make it happen as well and build it, build the game. So normally it takes, you know, about a day and a half to settle into, you know, an actual game idea that people then want to go off and build in the remaining day and a half sort of thing. And so we took it along to a few, you know, and, and wandered around with it. Like it was on my laptop only, um, you know, to different groups 
who'd already formed um, trying to you know create a game and we let them play with it um, sometimes I facilitate it or sometimes I just said this is how it works sort of thing you know go for it and then afterwards we gave them like a flow state scale questionnaire um, and this is something that's been psychometrically sort of validated across you know population so you know it's valid um, you know and normally used for like athletes you know so we changed it a little bit because obviously this is a software program so um, and um, over three quarters um, of people who used it said that it actually helped them brainstorm better. And when we said better in what way, they were like, it's more creative. And then we're like, okay, why do you say it's more creative? Can you tell us? And they actually put down three to four tangible new ideas um, and um, said that it actually helped them come up with a new game. And that's like in five minutes, <laughs> right? Based on like how long it normally takes people, which is like a day and a half. So you know, people really enjoyed playing with it. That's another really big, you know, plus sign for like a product. If you have something where people just love working with it, then, you know, that's good in itself as well. So I've learned a lot of stuff about like product development, put it that way. Um, um, and, you know, uh, we're still working with our, um, you know, our uh, development partners who are, gonna, who are essentially our early customers. We, you know, make changes, we go back, we get feedback, you know, change it again. We're collecting new neural data from them. Um, none of them have gone right bugger off. <laughs> so there's clearly, you know, some sort of like value that they see in all of this in terms of like enhancing, you know, their, their sort of office workflows and, you know, making sure their employees are happy. And the fact that, you know, they're coming up with better and more creative ideas within, you know, the creative industries is obviously really, really important for them to carry on existing, you know, that sort of thing. So, that's what gives me confidence that I'm working on something that, you know, something that people will want rather than a pie in the sky. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. I, I like a good feedback loop as well. Um, like it's good, val it's good validation. Is there, yeah. Really. <laughs> is there other than what we talked about previously, is there, um, any like special, like rocket science type stuff about what you've developed? Yeah, no, I think what's really interesting is the fact that, you know, we're, you know, finding actual neuronal networks, not the machine learning kind, but in the brain um, that, you know, correspond to like um, these, you know, different stages of creativity. Um, you know, it's giving more of a concreteness to something that might, you know, in public perception might be considered quite vague or abstract or, you know, unattainable by people who are not considering themselves creative or anything like that. The fact that, you know, we actually have neuronal networks um, uh, that underlie these different stages and cognition, you know, um, is really, really promising. Um, in fact, there's other stages and types of creativity, like, um, for example, the incubation stage, where people have found that, you know, the neural networks underlying that is actually the default mode network, which is similar. And in fact, the same thing that um, uh, gets activated during mind wandering uh, and daydreaming, for example. So it's really important um, that we're, you know, coming across this sort of new research is, is, is you know, I think it's quite a game changer. Um, you know, the way I like to say is that, you know, we have uh, neural networks that are associated to memory, you know, that we know, you know, from from the aspect of the hippocampus, et cetera. Uh, that's just only a bit of it, but, you know, place cells, this, that, lots of sort of actual physiological correlation. Um, and I think that's where we're going with, with something like this. So it's quite a new field that's sort of right to be kind of explored um, further um, and actually kind of um, a place that kind of links up neurophilosophy and like, you know, what is creativity in the first place? And, um, 
you know, to do with like work practices and, you know, uh, how you actually set about going through your day and productivity and well-being and all these sorts of things. It kind of then links it up to something much more concrete. So it's it, it sort of rocket science actually has so many different effects and so many different um, uh, links in sociology and philosophy and, you know, um, culture. And so that sort of uh, <laughs> answer your question. <laughs> But yeah, the other thing I can say is that basically like creativity is a complex cognition. And so, you know, the fact that we now have the capacity with machine learning and deep learning to actually look at much more complex patterns in a real time way. That is where I think a lot of the nerdiness comes in, um, you know, from from all of the signals. We're kind of at a, you know, a unique place where something like this can really start to kick off. You know? no, definitely. I, I... I, if I were you, I'd have like a little like, uh, you know, like people keep pictures of their family in your wallet and their wallets like you can have like a picture of like flow <laughs> yeah. state and you just whenever people ask about your business, you're like, you just hand it to them and they're like, what is this? It's my company. It's inducing flow state. <laughs> they, yeah. You know, that could be, yeah. Oh, be a really fun business well, card. We tried that with the logo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like your logo. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good idea. You'd actually um, I'll send you the, 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 the neuronal network. That's uh, that's actually the signature pattern. I'll just put that on the other side. That's what it looks like. <laughs> Nubby, um, Good idea. What is the worst thing that has happened in the company's history so far? And then what is something that you're most impressed by or proud of? I'm sure I haven't come across the worst thing yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I haven't because we're still in that process of growing. So everything is like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. You know, um, I'm sure the worst thing would be like when we've already like raised something and if something happens and like our revenue drops or, you know, we go into the red or something like that, then it's going to be real financial um, palava, <laughs> put it that way. So at this stage, I think we're still on the up, <laughs> which is really nice to hear. Although I wouldn't say it's been a bed of roses by any stretch of the imagination. It's been really, really damn hard work. And so I would say like personally, it's about how you can keep on top of your work while still being really enthusiastic, <laughs> while still kind of looking at your mental health and your physical well-being as well, in order to arrive every day, like full of full charge, if that makes sense. I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs have told you that as well. And the best thing is like, we're now at a stage where I'm really happy with where we're at with the prototypes and also the deep learning models from a scientific perspective, even being like, there's actual, you know, evidence for us that there's something here something really tangible and the tangibility i think is what i really like and the fact that you can play around with our prototypes and stuff now so it's not just something in my head <laughs> it's something that's out, outside and manifested so the most positive thing is the fact that we've been able to manifest something into being from nothing so i think that's a, a real sort of driving passion maybe probably for a lot of startups you know create something from nothing <laughs> yeah and it is in your head technically yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah you talked about how there's like you have like two steps ahead in your planning but like when you have the i guess other than like the markets that you've kind of talked about so far like where where do you intend to go with it well yeah i guess we mentioned creative industries right within that like creative and innovation lab strategy consultancies as well something um that'd be really interesting for us anywhere we're brainstorming ideation conceptualization or you know strategies is, is um used right uh also like you know uh, design in all of its forms whether it's within games or architecture or you know i'd be interested to see how we can modify this for fashion <laughs> in some way but also you know when we have more the the eeg stuff ready 
I think it could be useful to gamers. You know, we did mention this a little bit, but also, you know, to athletes. And um, it would be great if we can bring it back to music (laughs) in some ways, you know. So imagine if like you're watching a performance and you can actually see which musician was in flow (laughs) or not, or whether it helped them, you know, do their practice in some way. It'd be really interesting um, to take it also away from the area of words and stuff and brainstorming. And we already talked about like, you know, how it could be useful in, in, in learning. So I kind of see it as a thing that could be useful across many different industries. I'm just, yeah, excited to see how it could, you know, help people. When will you consider yourself a success, if at all? Some people don't consider themselves a success ever. I have imposter syndrome forever. <laughs> it's just one thing that happens even during the PhD. It's like, am I meant to be here? Did I do anything? Was it at all helpful to anyone? It's probably something that keeps driving you, you know, to, to do better and better and better. But I mean, something that I have learned to do is, is, is to celebrate the little successes. So like, you know, thanks, thanks for asking earlier, you know, what was a success? Because having a prototype to actually like work with for me is, 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 a, is a nice little milestone just as a, you know, um, from, a, from a personal business perspective. But from the overall business perspective, I guess, you know, as soon as we start making some revenue <laughs> would be interesting. Or, you know, if we start closing our seed round would be, you know, a, a form of success. If we manage to get to our sort of full-fledged product um, where it's running smoothly and people can start using it and, you know, we start getting some data from that, that would be a success. So there's many different sort of milestones, both from the product perspective and from the financial perspective which you could look at. But maybe one day I could actually pay myself a salary. Don't, don't dream too big now. That would be nice. <laughs> don't dream too big. <laughs> oh, dear. Still beans and toast. So <laughs> um. That's just a little ridiculous. But, you know, maybe that would be considered like... Do you need funding to get to the point where you can make revenue? Or, or can you make revenue and potentially skip funding if you make enough revenue? Does that make sense? Because you get like pre-sales and then like use that to fund it and then go on. It's like, I always think about like really fun ways to finance companies. Yeah, I know. That's a really interesting point. So that is something we're actually experimenting with at the moment is like, you know, how we can move into like a, a bit of revenue, at least in terms of even for you know our early customers and stuff. I think we do need a bit of funding. And, uh, the reason we need the funding is actually to, to improve the product to a point where it can you know, give more value. To improve the product, you need to have wages for people who build it. So, you know, it's that sort of chicken and egg situation a little bit. And it's great to have a prototype because then you could maybe get people to do pre-sales. But before that, people are like, well, how does this even work? I don't even know how, what it looks like. You know, it's a very conceptual thing, you know. So that's why we then went down and did the prototype. Otherwise, that's the sort of feedback we're getting, right? And I think I think the trick is very much in the detail with something like this, um, you know, how it can improve people in a more tangible fashion. We're kind of in that sort of intermediate, in-between stage at the moment, trying to figure that part out. Um, but certainly funding would help us um, get revenue and revenue would help us get funding. It's just one of those, um, you know, circular relationships. Have you considered crowdsourcing at all, like Kickstarter or anything like that? Well, the thing is, we're a software company. So, you know, we're not building a new headset uh, or hardware, which is normally how you would sort of see things on Kickstarter. So we would partner with people like that. But crowdsourcing as an option for fundraising, normally you'd have that as a syndicate with other sort of investors, possibly. So that could be something we're still considering, but probably after having more dedicated investors as well. Uh, what I mean by dedicated isn't about like their dedication, <laughs> but more like, <laughs> you know, more about, you know, one or two that have more skin in the game. And then you could think about 
Because um, it's, you know, crowdsourcing is a lot of different investors then <laughs> to, to manage. Um, and we definitely want people who get it um, on board rather than super many, many, many people that we have to manage, um, you know, what they want, uh, who may or may not get it, right? So crowdsourcing can open you up a little bit. And initially we're going as a B2B model and then maybe opening out to, to B2C. So crowdsourcing, I think, probably works better, more consumer facing. Yeah, makes sense. Final two questions because we're coming at the end. What is the funniest thing that has happened in your startup journey? And then how can people follow along? Those are the te- last two. Oh, man, funny. Or something that amuses you. What would classify funny? Know. People have weird senses. <laughs> okay, I might have to come back to you on that one. <laughs> I might have to come back to you on that one, actually. I've had many enjoyable experiences, like when we've actually been working with our with our with our customers, you know, like being a part of their creative processes and like seeing how it all works. It's very, very enjoyable. Most of it has been a lot of hard work <laughs> and learning and, and just, you know, putting your head to the ground and doing doing the work. But I'll come back to you if I get some happy, uh, not happy, sorry, funny. <laughs> if, uh, if I get some funny uh, things coming up. But, you know, there have been plenty of like joyous moments if, if, in terms of making me laugh. But, you know, um, how they can follow along. We have a website in general so that's uh, neurocreate.co.uk um have a facebook as well so people can get in touch with us again it's neurocreate <laughs> on facebook and uh there's my email so if you guys if anybody wants to stay in touch with me it's it's shama which is um s-h-a-m-a which is sierra house alpha mother <laughs> alpha there you go my own way of, of coding it um shama at neurocreate.co.uk so if you want to maybe like help us test out the prototype and uh, you fancy a, an ideation session, please do get in touch. They're looking for human, human guinea pigs. So kind, kind of, <laughs> but in a nice way, you'll, you'll, yeah. you'll enjoy the experience. Yeah, yeah. You'll only come out better the other end. Don't yeah. worry. It's very non-invasive. <laughs> <laughs> Let me stress that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, but I just pictured like really tiny print going down the screen it's like all the side effects, but like, you know, like a drug thing, like totally not invasive. And it's like really invasive. There will be major procedures, but <laughs> yeah, uh, not, not here, but it's like too many commercials I've seen, I guess. But there is a new way to show support for the podcast and to keep it advertisement free from now until forever, which is called Patreon. If you go to Patreon and look for Learning with Lowell, you'll see this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We can be found on Twitter at Lowell was here, Facebook, and on the website, learningwithlowell.com. Also sign up for the newsletter where you can hear amazing content every Monday, new episodes every Tuesday, and new blog posts around every Thursday. Remember to share and tell your friends, please and thank you.